And good morning again. We are in Mark chapter 14 this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you open them with me? Mark chapter 14. And we're looking at verses 20, 27, 26 to 42. Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning? Mark chapter 14, and we'll start in verse 26. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised, raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. (laughs) How do you preach this passage? How do you preach it? What's the point? What's the takeaway? Don't fall asleep. (laughs) Keep your eyes open. Try harder. Fight longer, stay the course, go the distance. (laughs) Maybe stand up, suck it up, hold up, under pressure, do whatever you've got to do. Because Jesus is depending on you. He's depending on you. Some pastors, some life coaches, some uh, motivational speakers, they will tell you just that. They will say, yes, you can. You're better than you think you are. In fact, God is waiting for you to reach your full potential. One wildly popular pastor said, God has already done everything he's going to do. The ball is in your court. If you want success, if you want wisdom, if you want to be prosperous and healthy, you're going to have to do more than meditate and believe. You must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself and your family. The idea is empty out the negative. 
Become the better you. Experience the power of I am. They tell you, yes, you can. And yet, the Bible tells us time and time and time again, no, you can't. No, you can't. They were en route to the Mount of Olives, leaving the temple, coming down the hill into the Kidron Valley. They came to a brook that is down there. The brook that once flowed with just water, but because of the temple sacrifices, it was now mingled with blood as they crossed over. And that's when Jesus quotes to his disciples a passage from Zechariah. You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus didn't have any delusions that his disciples would somehow muster up the strength and rise to the occasion. In his divine knowledge, he lets them know right then and there, you're going to fall. You're going to fail me. They may have thought that they were the dream team. They may have thought that they were going to help take Jesus all the way to the top. But in reality, in the pivotal moment, they'd all fall away. And that's when Peter, of course it was Peter, right? Peter says, no, 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 no. Not me. Not I, Jesus. All the rest of the guys might fail you, but there's no way I will fail you. Even though they all fall away, I will not. And from what we've seen of Peter, what we know of Peter, he seems to have been the strong one. He prided himself in his strength. He was the macho man. He's the one who's going to take the risk and do the things that maybe the other guys might shy away from. Remember, he stepped out of the boat. He stepped out of the boat, and not only did he step out of the boat, but he's the one that suggested to Jesus, Jesus, command me to step out of the boat that I might come to you on the water. That's a seriously bold move, isn't it? (laughs) Maybe it showed remarkable faith in Jesus. Maybe it just showed that he was kind of reckless and impetuous. I kind of tend to think it was the latter, because when he got out of the boat, he sees the waves, and he begins to panic. So here on the, on the way to the Mount of Olives, to a place called Gethsemane, John's Gospel tells us this place, it was a garden. Peter probably just stops right in his tracks. What do you mean we're going to fall away? What are you talking about? Not me. I'm the strong one. I have faith. Remember, you changed my name to Petros. I'm the rock. And that's when Jesus says, truly I tell you, This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Since it was probably around midnight when they were having this conversation, and since roosters typically begin crowing around 3 a.m., sometime between 3 and 4 a.m., this was only a couple hours, maybe a few hours away that this would happen. Have you ever promised one thing and then turned right around just a few minutes later into the exact opposite? Not Peter. He wasn't like everyone else. He was the rock. (laughs) He would be the last man standing, right? He said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then they all followed suit. They all said the same. 
Yeah, yeah, Jesus, we'll, we'll, we'll die with you. We'll go all the way to the end if we have to. Now, we have to remind ourselves these weren't just any men, right? They weren't just any regular guys. These guys were hand-picked by Jesus. He could have had anybody, but he chose these guys to be on his team. They were his inner circle. They would be the examples, right? Examples to everyone else of what it looks like, how you should operate as part of Jesus' crew. Maybe you felt that way at one point in your life. I certainly did. I was the oldest of eight kids. And as the oldest of eight kids, I was reminded over and over and over again that you have a responsibility, Jared. You are the example to all of your siblings. And I remember telling myself, okay, okay, I can do that. I will not cave. I'm going to do what's right. In fact, if the path to blessing, if the path to God blessing me means that I need to study hard, that I need to stand up tall, that I need to do all of these different things, I'm absolutely going to do that. I'm going to be God's man. I'm going to show my siblings how to do it. Is that what Jesus is trying to do here? Maybe he's trying to call these guys out and motivate them. Maybe he's going all drill sergeant on them. You know how they do. They cut people down over and over and over. Yeah, you're going to fall away. Yeah, you're, you're a sissy. Yeah, you're never going to do it, right? And, and Jesus is trying to somehow muster up their pride, and they're going to say, we'll show you, Jesus. We're going to show you. We're going to do it. We're going to dig deep, and we're going to rise to the top of our game. Is that what Jesus wants from you? Is that what God wants from you? Is that what he's calling you to? Just waiting for you to suck it up, for you to get serious, for you to put in the blood and the sweat and the tears. And then once you've proven yourself, well, then he's just going to open up the floodgates and let those blessings just start dumping out on your life. You're just, you're, you're almost drowning in blessing. Ha! Just imagine. Poverty, gone. Sickness, disease, gone. <laughs> the problems at work, gone. Problems with your, with your kids, with your spouse, with your, your coworkers, with your friends, with your family, they're gone. Wow, I'm glad I chose to do all that Jesus called me to do. Is God trying to get you to just try harder, to believe stronger, maybe even dig deeper into your pockets. Yes, you can. Or could it be that he's inviting you to recognize that you can't? You've got problems, right? I've got some. You've got pressure, right? I've got pressure. What are we supposed to do with it? I was watching one popular pastor the other day, preacher, I should say. I'm not sure if he's so much a pastor. But he was saying that the reason you are feeling so much crushing pressure in your life is because you're just putting too much pressure on yourself. You've done it to yourself. Your problem is that you have pridefully set standards for yourself that are just so high. You were never meant to attain these standards. 
These expectations. Maybe you have even let other people do it for you. Maybe you watched commercials or you've been walking around the mall or whatever. And you've seen pictures and you've set standards for yourself because that's what a person looks like. That's what a, how a person behaves. A person needs to have this or a person needs to have that. Stop beating yourself up, he was saying. Stop beating yourself up. All the ways that you fall short. Now, that may be true when it comes to some personal goals, right? I mean, maybe it is re- unrealistic to say that we're going to make our first million by age 30. Maybe it is somewhat unrealistic to think that you're ever going to fit back into that size zero again. <laughs> maybe you, you, you can't be the most popular person at school, or maybe not the, the best on the team, or have the perfect kids, or the perfect marriage, or the perfect whatever, Maybe sometimes we do put unnecessary pressure on ourselves. Maybe our expectations of ourselves are just a bit too high. And maybe we are our own worst critic, our own worst enemy. And maybe we should be content with just a little bit more mediocrity in ourselves. What do you think? Hmm. Maybe it is true that sometimes in our lives we do put unnecessary pressure on ourselves. But, and hear me out, but we must never apply that type of thinking when it comes to what God has called us to. Never. Even though Jesus told his disciples they would all fall away He didn't mean that it was good for them to fall away. No, 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 no. Peter, 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 Peter. You don't need to be faithful. I never expected you to be true to me or true to your word or or, or stand by my side or, or actually obey and trust God. I never, no, 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 don't get me wrong. Just, just let go and just let God. <laughs> you know what? Just, 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 sit, just grab your snack. The fridge is over. There. Grab your snack and, and, and go down to the basement and, and, and sit yourself down on the couch. Get really comfortable. I'll, I'll bring your slippers. And you know what? Just put on your favorite show and just, just, or just play your, your, your video games. I'm going to take care of everything. You're a good kid. You're a good kid. Jesus doesn't lower the standard, does he? He doesn't lower the standard. He actually raises the standard. He didn't come to help us realize that we've been putting too much pressure on ourselves. He came to open our eyes to the fact that we can't take the pressure that God has put on us. He didn't say, yeah, 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 yeah. I I, I know it says to not bear false witness, but, but what's one little white lie? You know, I know it says don't steal, but, you know, God really doesn't mind if you fudge a little bit on your tax return. Aren't they the ones stealing from you in the first place? He doesn't say, don't, don't, I know it says don't commit adultery, but, but God gets it, okay? He gets it. Gotta follow your heart. No! Jesus doesn't take the pressure off. In fact, he cranks it up. He cranks it up. He lays down some pretty high standards. He sets the bar way up here. You remember the words of the Sermon on the Mount? 
You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You've heard it said of, uh, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but, you, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Wow, that's a pretty tall order, Jesus. Really? Really? And then he takes it up a notch higher. And he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The bar is set really high. Have you ever thought there was pressure to perform before? <laughs> Jesus just cranked the dial up on that pressure cooker to atom splitting. <laughs> and I look back on the years uh, growing up, and I, and I actually think, yeah, I was all right. I, I was a pretty decent kid, but I don't measure up to that standard. What standard? Perfection. Did I ever lie? Yeah, oh yeah. Did I ever steal? Yeah. Did I ever use God's name in vain? A few times. Did I ever love anything more than I loved God? Oh yeah, lots of things. It doesn't take a federal investigation. It doesn't take me more than 10 seconds to, to, uh, to criminalize myself. <laughs> I'm a liar, I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an idol worshiper, four of the Ten Commandments that I've blown right there. And I'm just getting warmed up. And what did that earn me? Well, it earned me a first-class, one-way ticket to hell. The wages of sin is death. Look, look at what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Boom. I'm guilty. What about you? Speaking about lust, just a couple of verses later, he said, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than the, your whole body be thrown into hell. Wow, what about your cell phone? Oh, you can't give that up. Your computer? No. TV? No. No. Sorry. He goes on, verse 30, And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into where? Go into hell. This is serious stuff he's talking about here. In God's economy, saying that I am a pretty good person, it just doesn't cut it. If anyone tells you that you're putting too much pressure on yourself to be good, in fact, don't listen to them. 
Don't listen to them because the standard is perfection. But at the same time, if anyone tries to tell you that what Jesus was saying here in the Sermon on the Mount was somehow meant to let you in on that secret to being good enough on your own, to getting uh, uh, up to God's perfect standard, don't believe that either. Because the Sermon on the Mount is not a how-to. It's a how-you-must, but you can't. And the same is true of our passage here in Mark 14. It's not about trying harder. It's not about being stronger. It's about seeing yourself in the mirror and coming face-to-face with your failure. You can try to do it. You can determine to do it. You can put it on your calendar to do it. You can say you're going to do all you want, but guess what? You can't do it. You can't measure up. You can't withstand the pressure. Like he told his A-team, you will all fall away. Someone might be thinking, well, that's just great. I'm so glad I came to church today. So glad I woke up early Got myself showered and dressed, and I'm here. Maybe you're saying, I'm so glad I tuned in this live stream. I'm so glad I'm listening to this podcast because I was just really hoping that for, for this morning to just have some honest-to-goodness demotivation. That's what I want. I really want my self-esteem to just be taken and thrown to pieces. But hang in there. We're not finished yet. If this passage isn't about holding up under the pressure or being all that we can be, then what is this passage about? I'll tell you what it's about. Yes, it's true that it's about our failure, but even more than it is about our failure, it is about how he was faithful. Amen? (laughs) He was faithful. What Mark 14 shows us in crystal clear, Neo-QLED 4K, is no matter how many pounds of pressure were applied to Jesus, he did not, nor will ever cave under the pressure. How much pressure are we talking about here? Look at verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And this was a garden. It was probably a garden that Jesus and his disciples visited many, many times, probably privately owned, and it was lent to them to use for for teaching moments and, and, and things of the like. Gardens are wonderful places, aren't they? Some of you have gardens in your backyard. I have a garden in my backyard. And when I go into my backyard, I experience... Something that the garden just brings to me, and, and, and usually it's not strife. It is, it's, it's peace. <laughs> Gardens just are, are those places of, of, of rest and respite, and we come there, and we feel the stress and the strain of the day just kind of floating off with the butterflies. Oh, that doesn't seem to be what happens here. Notice again, the bar is set for those who were with him. Walking into the garden, Jesus takes three of his disciples, those who were closest to him, the cream of the crop, you might say, and he tells them, sit, stay, and watch while I go and pray. That's not too great of a task, is it? You and I could probably have done that one. 
But notice what it says about Jesus. He began to be greatly distressed and troubled. That word for distress that's used there, it, 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 it indicates that he was visibly alarmed. The word for trouble there, that he was, he was distressed to the point of anguish. He says to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. What's so troubling, Jesus? What's grieving you, Jesus? What's this about being so overwhelmed that you feel like you're going to, to die? This was atom-splitting pressure. Luke tells us that as he was praying, his sweat became like great drops of blood that were falling to the ground. This is, this, you've heard this maybe. This, this is actually a scientific phenomenon. When you were in such great anguish that, that your subcutaneous capillaries under your skin, they, they swell with blood to the point where there can be so much pressure there that they actually burst and, and blood comes out of your skin. Have you ever been in anguish? There have only been a few times in my life where I, I think I could even come close to any type of anguish, true anguish, those moments where you, you, maybe you're alone and you feel that the knees just buckle from under you and you slip to the floor. And it's all you can do to, to, to gasp for air. Uncontrollable sobbing. You almost feel like if it gets any more intense, I'm not going to be able to breathe. Maybe you've had a few of those moments. Maybe there, you've had, been through a time like that. Maybe you're going through a time like that where you just feel like the pressure is just more than you can bear. You're in good company. You're not alone. You might look around you at the people who are around you and know that they don't, they don't understand exactly what you're going through. Maybe they've never been through anything like what you've been through before, but I know there is one who has been through agony. Hebrews 4 reminds us, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So there, there, there's no pain, there, there's no amount of agony that should move us to come to that point where we just fly off the handle because Jesus has endured all that we have and more. And he knows it, not just, not just because he knows everything, but he actually experienced it. What's so troubling, Jesus? What's so distressing, Jesus. I'm sure it had something to do with what he knew was coming, the physical suffering that was on its way. And yet far more excruciating than the cross and mortifying of the shame of all of those onlookers at him as he was publicly ridiculed and beaten and put to death. It was the spiritual agony that brought him the greatest suffering. Three times Three times he prays, in three separate praying sessions, he prays, Abba, Father. Now, Abba, the term that signifies that closest, most intimate relationship between father and child. And Jesus prays, Abba, Father, all things are possible for, for you. Remove this cup from me. 
remove this cup from me. The cup, that actually refers to something in the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament term. It's a metaphor for the outpouring of God's wrath, His judgment upon sin. Psalm 11.5 says this, The Lord tests the righteous, but His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Psalm 75, 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Jeremiah 25, 15. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hands this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. What Jesus was in agony over was not the nails that would pierce the skin and, and, and rub ferociously against his tendons and bones. It wasn't the oxygen that he would be starving for and use every single ounce of strength to pull himself up and gasp for breath. It wasn't the gaping wounds. It wasn't the the blood that would drip down into his eyes, clouding his vision as the thorns pressed into his head. It was the horror of having the sins of the world put on his shoulders, causing him for the very first time in all eternity to experience that immense wrath, the displeasure and judgment of God. His humanity cries out, remove this cup from me. There's got to be another way. All things are possible for you, an acknowledgement of who God is. So remove this cup from me. Everything inside of him, inside of his humanity, is longing to avoid the sin-bearing that was coming. It wasn't the first time he came face-to-face with this temptation, was it? We've talked about that time in the wilderness. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan. Three different times Satan comes at him and tempts him. You know there's another way. Just throw yourself down. Or just bow down to me. I'll give you all this. You can have all this. It was there when he was explaining to his disciples that he was going to suffer, that he was going to die. Peter insists, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. There might be another way. And now, the hour had come where he probably felt it more than he ever felt it before. There's got to be another way. This is the moment of desperation, isn't it? Moment of desperation. When the pressure builds to such an extent that you are just ready to collapse. This is where you and I certainly would have fallen. If the cream of the crop the most inner circle of Jesus' people can't even fight off sleep 
because they are feeling sorrow. Luke tells us in 22 that they are feeling this sorrow and it's just causing them to be overwhelmed and they just have to sleep. Then how could we have remained obedient to God at this point? We just, there's no way. Verse 37 says, and he came and found them sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. As well-intentioned as they were. Oh, Jesus, we won't fail you. No, 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 no. We will die with you before anything else. As well-intentioned as they were, they just couldn't stay awake. How many times have I said that I was going to stand up and stay the course Everyone else will run away, not me, only to find myself giving up just moments later. Peter, James, and John couldn't even stay awake. And yet this is where Jesus shows himself to be everything that we are not. Everything that we are not. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, guess what? He remains faithful. And that is exactly what Jesus proved himself to be here in the garden. Great drops of blood come dripping down from his forehead, and he prays three times during the night, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. As desperately as I want to find a way of escape, as horrific as the thought of, of bearing and enduring the full punishment of the sins of the world is to me, I will not fail to do what you have called me to do. And my friends... That is what makes our salvation possible. <laughs> Though we have failed time and time and time again, God, God's will was chosen above Christ's own fleshly will. Jesus stepped in and succeeded where we failed. <laughs> we didn't. He did. We cracked. He remained strong. We were faithless. He remained faithful. We gave in to temptation. And he stood the course. We pursued the good life now. He walked away from it. And we want to be served. He came to be the servant of all. We want to freak out and run away from pain and suffering. And he marched steadily into it. We let our eyes droop and drift off to sleep. He was aware of every agonizing moment. We fell away. And he steadfastly stood in our place.
And that's why Paul can write in Romans 5.19, For as by one man's obedience, disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That is so good. How do you preach this passage? What's the point? What's the takeaway? Don't fall asleep. Keep your eyes open. Try harder. Fight longer. Stay the course. Go the distance. Too late for that. Too late for that. Just like Peter and James and John. We're done before we're even out of the gate. I know I am. The only way to preach this these dark moments here in the garden, as far as I'm concerned, is to look at the disciples and then look to Jesus and see his triumphant submission in the wake of our perpetual failure. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. Are you in awe of your Savior? I hope so. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Lord, we try to be our own saviors. We try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We try to make something of our lives. We try to say, I'm not going to be like them. And yet, Lord, if we are honest with ourselves, we realize we're just like them. Not a single one of us can bring about the salvation that we need. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he persevered through the agony. That where we, time and time again, have said, not your will, Father, but mine, he said the opposite. Not my will but yours be done. Father, we look to Jesus. We want to be in awe of him. We want you to produce inside of us, Lord, more Christ-likeness, that more and more, Lord, we might align our lives with him, that the victory of Jesus Christ would be made manifest within us so that when temptation does come our way, in Christ's strength, the power of the Holy Spirit, and in obedience to your word, we might be able to say, not our will, but yours. And yet, Lord, we know that we will fail time and time again. We are fully deserving of your judgment, and yet we are astonished that we sit here, we stand here, washed, spotless, and stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. May we leave here this morning, Lord, in awe of you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.